The reading is Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 to 8. And this can be found on page 973 in the Church Bibles. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralysed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralysed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe and they praised God who had given such authority to man. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please, while while we start? Heavenly Father, may I speak in your name, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have you ever been asked for a statement about something you witnessed and uh, you gave an honest, accurate account of it? only to find that three other people saw it differently. The gospel accounts have come to us from different sources. Some all accord with one another, some differ. Today's very well-known story has a further dramatic action addition uh, addition to it in both uh, Mark and Luke's gospels, which I'll refer to later, But today we're really looking, in the first instance, at this text from Matthew and examining what was said here. Each gospel will have a different way of touching us. So we're in Matthew's account of another encounter with Jesus. Jesus has come home. Uh, He is near the beginning of his ministry. He's moved from where he grew up and he's made his home in Capernaum. And when he gets there, straight away, we're right into the story with no other introduction. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. No frills, no sophistication of introduction. They just bring their friend to Jesus. And Jesus immediately recognizes the man's plight. Paralysis, the inability to control and use part of your body. It often comes, as you know, from spinal injury and damage, where everything from the level of the damage downwards is affected, and means loss of function and sensation. Now, we don't know the level of disability of this man, but he certainly, we know, was unable to walk. Such a situation is devastating. It's shocking. It's demoralizing. 
destabling, disabling. It would have affected the whole of his life. Unable to be independent and work, or to move at will, unable to defend himself, unable to defend or embrace walking to them, those he loved. No wheelchairs, no disability pensions or allowances. Helpless, poor, dependent. And yet, he had friends. Possibly might they have been relatives, we don't know. These friends who brought him to Jesus. And Jesus immediately recognizes not only this man's plight, but the faith of his friends. It was their faith to which Jesus responded. And how did he respond? By telling the man his sins were forgiven. Ooh, I wish he hadn't put it quite like that. I wish he hadn't thrown that into the mix. What's sin got to do with sickness? Well, in biblical times, the thinking was that if God is in control of all things, then he must be in control of illness. And being ill must have been his will, that God meant the illness or the accident to happen. There's a very famous passage, well, I don't know how famous it is, but it's in Exodus. I had to look it up, so it can't be that famous. Where God, having given Moses his instructions to go and challenge Pharaoh and send him off, it says that God tried to kill Moses that night. Look it up. I haven't made this up. It's in Exodus 4:24. God tried to kill Moses that night, but Moses' wife saved his life. It, it doesn't make any sense in the context of the story, but it is the biblical way of saying Moses became very ill. And since God's in control of everything, it must have been God trying to kill him. That was the understanding then, and that might be part of the way this story unpacks. So God, people thought, must have done this to the paralyzed man. And therefore, by deduction, oh, probably the man must have sinned in a very bad way to be in this state. Is that what Jesus is implying? Or is he merely saying that this man is human and therefore a sinner and needs forgiveness? And that is the first thing to deal with, although, in fairness, Jesus doesn't do it to many of the other people he heals. Or is Jesus suggesting that the man has acted in some way to bring this paralysis about and needs to change that behavior? Now, with our understanding of both sickness and the love of God, we are very uncomfortable with this comment of Jesus, with the tension it suggests. Or, perhaps, is it that Jesus is aware that he's being watched by the teachers of the law and was, in fact, orchestrating his showdown with them? 
Certainly his tone to the man was very gentle. Take heart, son, he says. And Jesus is in his own hometown. Now, maybe he possibly even knows this man. Some illnesses and infirmities can be traced back to our own actions. And how much greater does that make the burden they bring? Not just dealing with the problem, but knowing that I might have somehow brought it on myself. So yes, we do sometimes have to consider that in our situations and come to terms with it. It may be something, some burden that we carry secretly. We would never like anyone to know. But Jesus is effectively saying to this man, I know all about you and your sins are forgiven and I want you to live as free as possible from their consequences. Your sins are forgiven is so powerful a statement, both to heal the paralyzed man and to enrage the teachers of the law who know that only God can forgive. And yes, a part of me sympathizes with them. Logically, they are correct. Jesus' words are presumptuous unless he has the authority to heal this man by forgiving his sins. But the teachers of the law are not yet putting these words together, because they haven't happened yet, with the action of healing to make the deduction. If only God can forgive sin, and if Jesus' forgiveness of the man's sin is followed up by healing, then Jesus must be God. And that's what Jesus' challenge to them all is about. Which is easier, to forgive sin or to heal the man? Because the latter demonstrates the former. The truth of the first statement is corroborated by the result of the second. And Jesus says, get up and walk. And the man does exactly that. And Jesus is justified as a genuine healer and as a result, as someone with that authority to forgive sins. Jesus has declared who he is in this act of compassionate, effective healing. And whilst the teachers of the law fume in their anger, the people in the crowd praise God, full of awe and wonder. And the man walks home with his life transformed and his friends who brought him have their faith acknowledged and justified. Result. At no time does Jesus actually say that the paralysis was caused by the man's sin. He merely addresses both aspects of the man's life. We might call that holistic treatment today. But I want to go back to the beginning of the story and home in on those people 
who brought their disabled friend to Jesus. Both Mark and Luke, in their telling of this story, place it in an enclosed building where Jesus is speaking to people. Mark places it in Capernaum, but inside a house, and we're not told exactly whose. And the same conversation is had with the Pharisees, exactly the same. And Luke also places it indoors with Pharisees and teachers of the law present, engaging in an identical conversation. But Mark and Luke add that wonderful account of the action of the friends who bring the man. In both their stories, the friends can't get into the house to get anywhere near Jesus. So they climb up onto the roof and they haul the poor man on the stretcher up behind them. And they have him all tied up to make sure he doesn't fall off. And then when they get him up there, they systematically demolish the roof and make a hole big enough to let their friend down gently, still on his stretcher, without him falling off. Now, that's the way to tell it, to get the full attention of your audience. But in each case, in all of these stories, the conversation around healing is the same. Jesus' authority to forgive sins and to heal indicates who he is. But it was the faith and action of the friends who brought the man that Jesus saw clearly and responded to. I want to read to you um, a poem. I'm fond of poems. I pop them in my sermons every now and again. My friend Joyce Smith uh, knew I was preaching on this, and she sent me a copy of a poem by her favorite poet, Seamus Heaney. If you want to look up his poem later. The poem is entitled Miracle. Not the one who takes up his bed and walks, but the ones who have known him all along and carry him in. Their shoulders numb, the ache and stoop deep locked in their backs, the stretcher handles slippery with sweat, and no let up until he's strapped on tight made tiltable and raised to the tiled roof, then lowered for healing. Be mindful of them as they stand and wait for the burn of the paid-out ropes to cool. Their slight lightheadedness and incredulity to pass. Those who had known him all along. This morning, I would like us to think now about those who first brought us to Christ in the first place, if you can remember who they were. Sometimes we don't have a a one-off incident history, but there have been people who, by their actions over the years, have brought you to the presence of Christ. Might have been one main person or a number of different ones, friends, families, school teachers, minister in a church. Can you remember them? Was it a discreet event or years of gentle nurturing? What did it cost them to tell you about Jesus? 
and to try to bring you closer. What sort of impression of Jesus did they give you? I'd like us to take just a minute, or perhaps less, just now to thank God for them as we remember them and ask his blessing on them if they're still alive. Let's have a moment of quietness. I think you might just guess what I'm going to say next. If we have had an encounter with Jesus that we value as a changing point in our lives, how much are we working at being the ones who are bringing our friends to encounter Jesus for help and blessing? We don't have to be theologically trained to do it or have the answers to all their difficult questions. All we need is to be caring in regard to our friends and loved ones, willing to take a risk on bringing them to Christ. That might mean an invitation to church. It might be an invitation to go for a walk together with your dog or to meet somewhere for coffee or being prepared to talk about faith when the appropriate moment comes. And yes, they may ridicule our efforts or laugh at our inability to answer philosophical questions, but they won't laugh at our offer to take them to their hospital appointment or sit with them after they've been bereaved. And if we are given the chance to do those things or anything similar, then can we silently be bringing them to Jesus' presence in prayer as we're doing it? As Heaney's poem put it, it was the ones who had known him all along and carried him in. It was their faith that kick-started this whole episode. And if this morning you feel more like the paralyzed man, that life has stopped you being free and moving and doing as you might wish, then just tell Jesus how you feel. You can't shock him because he already knows, but you need to tell him as if he doesn't know. And remember that any necessary forgiveness comes freely and in a demonstrable way. You may not be healed of a serious condition you have, but you may, may feel its burden lift. Because the one we worship and serve is no less than the creator of all things, who gave up all that he had and all that he was in order to be like me, like you, for a period and demonstrate in his whole being how much he loves us. Maybe this week he can help us love ourselves a bit more too.